Tonight, you folks at home and we here in the Coliseum will watch history in the making. The first game ever for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Excited to be here. With that being said, you know I'm, I'm beyond excited to, to continue as the coach of the head coach of the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. 4.7 seconds. Gibson's got to get it in. Does Wiggins drives across midcourt. Andrew lets it fly at the buzzer for the win. Welcome back to the Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But That Channel. And we want to remind everybody that we have joined the Off The Ball Network. So we really appreciate wherever you are accessing us from, whether it's Nothing But Net, whether it's in podcast form on any of the podcast websites you may listen. You can also check out all the other great shows on Off The Ball Network. Go to offtheballnetwork.com and you can check out all that coverage, whether it's articles, other podcasts, radio shows. We have everything on offtheballnetwork.com, including coverage of all different sports. A reminder that we are sponsored by BetUS. BetUS is the newest sponsor of the Off the Ball Network. They have the fastest payouts in the industry and offer a 125% sign-up bonus when you use promo code OFFTHEBALL in all caps at sign-up. Head over to BetUS.com to sign up today. Again, that's BetUS.com, promo code OFFTHEBALL in all caps. Unlike all the other bars out there that taste either like old Play-Doh or a piece of cardboard, when you eat a Built Bar, you will think you are cheating on your diet with a delicious chocolate dessert. If your kids find out how good these are, you're going to have to buy more because they will be begging for them. They have great flavors such as cookies and cream, double chocolate, strawberry, peanut butter brownie, and much more. Use the code OFFTHEBALL in all caps at checkout to get a 10% discount at Built.com. Again, that's OFFTHEBALL, all caps, at checkout to get a 10% discount at Built.com. All right, welcome back to The Howl here on Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. And now I am joined by Francis Carlotta. And uh, Francis, you, of course, are another member of the Off The Ball Network, and you have your own show. Tell the audience yes, a little bit about your show. Yeah, so I, I, I do an NBA podcast called the Up and Under Podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really anywhere you can find podcasts. It's me and two college friends who had a had a sports radio show in college, and we took a well, a year and a half hiatus from doing anything podcasting or sports radio show related, but got back into it, and we're over forty episodes in. 
and doing well. So yeah, I appreciate you giving me a chance to talk about it. Yeah, definitely glad to have you on the show and we'll have to, maybe we'll have to, we'll have to talk uh, about adding your show to the uh, Dash Radio lineup here. Hey, would love that. So Yeah, would absolutely love that. Let's jump into uh, the meat and potatoes of uh, why we're having you on. And of course it is, I would say, the current best playoff series that we see in the NBA because it's a lot of, to me anyways, a lot of the other series haven't been all that competitive necessarily. Yeah. You know, you're seeing a lot of them where it's pretty one-sided. And then you look at the the Wolves-Grizzlies, and it's it's been absolutely fantastic start to finish. Now, of course, you know, as a Wolves fan, you've had moments where you're like, really? And then obviously as a Grizzlies fan, same kind of thing. But right. I think this is someone – I listened to a, a show earlier, and I thought this was really this, – this really kind of encapsulated – my feelings for this series so far. And they talked about how the Wolves might be the better team at times, like they've looked that way. But ultimately, what what Memphis has going for them and why they can win any game against pretty much anybody is that they're just so consistent. You're yeah. like you're always getting a hundred percent. And sometimes it seems like the Wolves, for example, maybe just aren't always there mentally as a young team. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 you know, I don't say what I'm about to say as, as, as any form of insult or anything like that. I just think Memphis has built more of a culture to, to the franchise from top to bottom that has been instilled by, heck, even from the, the owner, Robert Perra, down to the front office of Zach Kleiman, et cetera, to the coach of, of Taylor Jenkins, and to its star, John Red, and then to all the way to G League guys. They 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 have this culture within the whole franchise that has permeated throughout and it, it helps them keep them locked in mentally, no matter what, what issues they're facing throughout a game. And again, I don't say this to be rude, but for the Timberwolves, you all, Wolves fans haven't had that culture yet built. And I think they're, y'all are trying to build that culture. And I, I've said this to a lot of people that, it's kind of a shame for me as a Grizzlies fan watching the Grizzlies play your Wolves because if we weren't facing you, I would be rooting for you 100%. And I really mean that because I, y'all are a young, plucky, fun team who plays hard, who has athleticism, who can shoot, who, have the, who has those stars. And it just – you have to get – you have to go through those trials and tribulations of the playoffs to really kind of build that – uh, that culture of winning, and I'm not saying that going through a freaking playing tournament and beating one game after uh, against the Jazz last year was is why the Grizzlies hold a three-two advantage. But it helps, you know. Anytime you can go into the playoffs and and go through these these tough scenarios, it helps build for the future. And I think this series, whether or not you all win, that's obviously we'll see, but can only help the Wolves and their future. Does, does that make sense? Oh, definitely. And first of all, you're. You're welcome to rip the Wolves franchise as much as you'd like. We all do it here in Minnesota. Okay. And right. We are a very poorly run franchise, historically top to bottom. And every time I feel like we've gotten to a point where things are starting to look good, something happens like, you know, our GM has a sex scandal. You know, okay. there's always something with the Wolves oh, that boy. you just don't expect <laughs> to see. And then, and then things change. So, you know, we're, we're on the right path. And I think you make a really good point. Even if it's just one game, even if it's 10 games, experience makes a difference. And most of these Wolves have zero experience 
when it right. comes to the playoffs. And I think that makes a really big difference. So I, I'm, I'm very interested to see what either of our two teams uh, can do long-term in these playoffs because, of course, the second we end this series, we're jumping right into a series against the Warriors. And yeah. whichever one of our teams uh, moves on, I think it's going to be very difficult because that is a team that I think is is very scary. Not to you know, not to put the cart before the horse, of course, because we've still got one, maybe two games if the Wolves are lucky, anyways. And mm-hmm. and you know, the interesting thing you mentioned the organization, and one thing I found fascinating, they this got I don't know if you saw this, but a few hours ago there was a report that got released that as far as the Tyrrells are concerned, as when they finished their shoot around here, their practice, they actually held a players only meeting. And I did see that. You mentioned the culture. And really the only guy that has a lot of experience and who has really started to shape the Wolves culture is Patrick Beverly. And he's the guy that set this whole thing up. And long-term, I think a guy like Patrick Beverly is going to make a big difference for the Wolves. But in the short term, yes, we've seen it start to finish, but you still have a lot of young guys that haven't been there yet. And so it's tough when your culture is kind of set by one guy and he's trying to make all these changes. And then you have a newer coach that's trying to make all these changes. But I definitely think as far as whether it's culture, whether it's experience, the Grizzlies definitely have the upper hand there. Yeah. And I, I, you mentioned the the experience of Patrick Beverly. He's a, he, the former Memphis Grizzly, Patrick Beverly. Let's get that title correct. <laughs> the right. Grizzly right. For what, 17 <laughs> hours or something. And we appreciate that, by the way. We appreciate that. You know, you guys took Wancho off our hands. We got Patrick Beverly. I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah, I fully understand. Uh, But yeah, you you mentioned Pat Bev, and he's the definition of a guy that you would much rather have on your team than play against. That he is that guy, even when he was a Grizzly for whatever, however many hours he was. A lot of Grizzlies fans were excited, like, "Oh, cool, Pat Bev, cool. He he'll add a bit more bite and 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 bark to that locker room and more veteran experience and and uh, help build John Moran as a young point guard." Like, people were excited, and obviously he's, he's a Timberwolves, and we're naturally facing him. It's almost poetic justice to then face him in the first round of the NBA playoffs. But for the Grizzlies, I think Taylor Jenkins he did a press conference and he mentioned the importance of. Steven Adams and Kyle Anderson as a part of this team, though they're not getting a lot of run, they're not getting the playing time. We can talk about the the Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson thing later on. But obviously, as we know, he's being played off the floor. And as we talked about earlier today, just messaging each other, uh, he's now in health and safety protocols. So knock on wood that it's only just him. Knock on wood, it's, it's no one else. Uh, but his presence there for the Grizzlies, accepting that, yeah, I, this might not be the matchup for me. And he even said, like, this this sucks that I don't get to play, but I understand. I'm a grown man. Like, I understand, and I'm, I'm about the team. And that idea of being about the team first is huge. Um, and I actually do want to say, use what I just said to uh, tie into a question I have for you. Um, I think it was Anthony Edwards after last game where he gave his press conference, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he said – that there's too much of one guy trying to get his shot, another guy trying to get his shot when it comes to cr- to to clutch time. Is that an idea that you agree with and something that you think has been a really big issue for the Wolves, not just in the in the in the in this series, but just in general? Yeah, part of the problem you run into with the Wolves is you have three guys that need the ball in their hands. 
So whether it's yeah. Anthony Edwards, whether it's D'Angelo Russell, whether it's Carl Towns, and that's actually been a, a really consistent issue the entire year, especially when right. you look at Carl Towns. For whatever reason, this team always struggles to get Carl Towns the basketball. When you look at the rest of the NBA, there aren't too many teams that have issues getting their best player the basketball. But the yeah. Wolves have that exact issue. And to his credit, Anthony Edwards, and what's so impressive about him, he's sitting here at 20 years old, and he's mature enough to take that blame. And he uh, he said, I think it might have been earlier today, and this might have been something that was talked about in regards to that players-only meeting, but he talked about how part of it is his fault. He holds on to the ball too long. He's not yeah. making that extra pass. And what some people have pointed out is they have to get together. And I think this players-only meeting could be the way to do it is you have to get your three players that are on the court to do a better job of managing the basketball. You know, you have Patrick Beverly out there. He's so smart. He's able to direct guys. But at the same time, you see at the end of the game, a good example was at the end of game number five, D'Angelo Russell dribbles the ball for an entire shot clock and then takes one of the stupidest shots you'll ever see. And in this series, I think you would agree, D'Angelo Russell has been almost no, like nothing of a factor. Non-existent, yeah. And for a guy like him who's, you know, getting paid pretty much max money, and it's supposed to be this, you know, one of our, if you want to call it a big three, uh, right. he's supposed to be that, you know, one of those top three guys. And you haven't seen it. Yes, he's had moments where he's been, again, good. You know, he might have a streak of, you know, five, seven points. He hits a couple of big shots. You know, for example, in that last game, he helped account for, I think I saw something about 18 of the points in the first quarter, which is great. But there's four quarters yeah. in a basketball game, and then you don't see him again. And that goes back to what we talked about earlier for the wolves. You just don't have that consistency that you have from the Grizzlies. Yeah. And I, and I think uh, your point about Delos is, is fantastic because uh, yes, he's been very inconsistent, basically non-existent in this series. And then you look back in the regular season and the matchups between the Grizzlies and the wolves. I think everyone focused on how good Delo was in those games. I think he averaged, this is off the top of my head, something around like high 20s points per game and was an absolute bucket in all of the games that they played against each other and a big reason why they split they split the season series. And people thought, oh, he's not going to do that again in in this in this playoff round, and that just hasn't been the case. Now, credit Memphis' defense, credit Dylan Brooks, credit Desmond Bain. Yep, I was going to say, the that's the one thing. For sure. You know, credit, credit the Grizzlies and their adjustments. I mean, that's what... NBA teams should do adjust, especially in the playoffs. So credit that for sure. But uh, I, the 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 worst the worst instance of what you talked about is that D'Lo shot at the end of Game Five, where I, th- I think you you all were, were I can't I'm struggling to remember. Right I think now. you were ahead by one, and we had the chance to yeah. make, to go ahead. Yeah, and D'Lo just took a fadeaway shot on the left side, and it just. It was it was a horrible shot. Like and it wasn't no, even close. It wasn't even yeah. Close. It wasn't even close. It, it was a shot where I was I was I was watching a game with a friend where I was like I'll live. And even before even as he was shooting, I was like I'll live. And he obviously missed it because that shot is a bad shot at that moment in time with no ball movement, no no thought to even try and run a play, get into an offense, or even thought to give the ball to as you said your best player in Carlton Towns. So. You know, do, do you, what do you, how are you feeling about the next game? Do you feel that 
these adjustments that you that we believe the Wolves need to make, do you think they will be made? That's the interesting thing. I feel like both coaches have done a, a pretty good job of finding ways to adjust to the other team's adjustments for the most part. But at times, and this is something that is, is unfortunate for the Wolves, at times I don't know that there's much that Chris Finch can do because mm. the problem that we run into with the Wolves is he has a game plan. And when we start to, like when we build a big lead, for example, you've definitely seen this, all of a sudden the team changes how they play. And that's when you get a lot more of that one-on-one hero basketball that Anthony Edwards talked about. And I can tell you right now, Chris Finch isn't the one telling them to do that. And so (laughs) it's almost like they feel the pressure of the moment or they get lazy is not the right word. Although I'll say this in the case of D'Lo lazy is the right word uh, when Mm -hmm. it comes to some of the decisions he makes and just kind of being, you know, sloppy with stuff, but definitely that's what's tough. And that's why I think, you know, players only meetings for the most part, I think are kind of stupid. A lot of times (laughs) it's one of those things where you hear about and you go, well, okay, great. You know, now we, we see that we, like, because it always gets leaked. That's always the weird thing to yeah. me. It always oh, gets leaked. That, like, why would it get leaked? To me, it's always you're trying to put on like a show, so to speak. But in this mm-hmm. instance, the players are the only ones I think that could make the change. And so my hope is that that makes a difference. But as far as the two teams are concerned, it's interesting. You, you know, you, when you bring up adjustments by coaches, one adjustment that I thought was interesting that I didn't think was going to work out well, and I don't think it has, was when uh, when Taylor Jenkins made the switch, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this, when he went with Tillman to start and yeah. he moved Anderson out of the starting lineup, I thought that was a mistake because throughout the season, we've seen teams that go small and don't guard Towns with a more, like a larger, more of a center type player have the most success. And I thought when you guys used Anderson on him, I thought that was really successful. I thought it worked out really well. And when he made that change, I thought that was really strange. And then the game starts and, you know, we're not five minutes into the game and Tillman's out because he's in foul trouble already. What What did you yeah. think about that adjustment specifically? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was something that I've heard a lot of uh, Grizzlies media talk about that, that specific thing of, of starting Xavier Tillman over Kyle Anderson. Um, and I, I think for me, I it should definitely still be Kyle to start the game, and I like the way he guards Cat because yeah his name his nickname is Slow Mo for a reason so he's not fast <laughs> by any he's methodical though right he makes good decisions he, but he's very smart like he's yeah. he's defensively very smart he's always controlled he's he's since he's so slow he has to be four or five steps ahead of the person he's guarding and just and just whenever he's on the floor in general and I think I Kyle Anderson on Cat is definitely a better way to start the game than having Xavier Tillman. I prefer having Xavier Tillman be that energy guy off the bench that he, I think it was game, oh goodness, I think it was game three where he where he came came in and he actually provided like a legitimate spark. Or maybe it was game two, I'm forgetting at the moment. I think, I think it was game two. Provide, yeah, he provided a legitimate spark off the bench, did some of the dirty work, showed some energy, had the fresh legs. I think that is more so his role. And also, let's not let's not kid ourselves here. The Grizzlies' best lineup is Jaron Jackson at the center, if he can stay on the four. Brandon <laughs> yeah. Clark at the four, 
Dylan Brooks at the three, Bain at the two. You can interchange them. doesn't matter too much. And then John Moran at point guard. And that's not the lineup Taylor Jenkins will start. And if he does, I think that's a mistake. Because if and when Jaron Jackson gets into foul trouble, you need Brandon Clark to come off the bench. So that's why they should start – they shouldn't start Brandon Clark. And they should keep starting Kyle Anderson because I think he would be a better and more stable – front court partner with Jaron Jackson betting Xavier Tillman to start games. Well, and that's the other thing too. I've always thought of this for players in terms of how a player views their role. To me, it's not about who starts. It's about who finishes. So I agree. If I'm Taylor Jenkins, I'm starting Anderson, but then I'm going to close with Brandon Clark because we've seen how important. I mean, you could argue, I think that Brandon Clark has been the best player in the series. Just Uh, definitely. It's definitely I'm, possible. Like it, it's it's a valid argument that has substance to it for sure. I mean, game five, his offensive rebounding won that game. He was absolutely fantastic. I'm yeah. I'm a huge Brandon Clark fan. He does all the right things, and he's one of the few players in the league that basically never complains to the officials. And I really appreciate yeah. that. Even <laughs> if it's a bad call, it doesn't matter. He just gets about his business. He goes down the court. I he, man, he's been a. a He's definitely been a thorn in our side, though, here, uh, the Wolves, because he just he's so effective at rebounding the basketball. And as far as the Wolves are concerned, that's a that's a huge problem. We're not for whatever reason. We struggle many games with rebounding the basketball. You know, the funny thing is, so you mentioned uh, Triple J and he's like the polar opposite of Brendan Clark. He couldn't complain more if he tried. And it doesn't yeah. matter how <laughs> obvious the foul is. You know, an interesting one was, I think it was his foul last game on Patrick Beverly. And he was so upset about it, but he clearly hits him. Yeah, And that's what frustrates me about Triple J. And, and that actually brings me to a question I was going to ask you. Are you concerned with the big contract he was just signed to, given how he struggles to stay on the basketball court in these big games? So I'll, I'll, I'll divide my answer into two parts. One... His contract that he signed, yes, it's a big contract, but it is descending. And I know that's such a cliche, oh, it's descending contract, so let's applaud the front office for that. But I really think it's a it's a valid point to bring up. Like the front office understands, and even Jaron Jackson to even agree to the contract, understands that, yes, he's very good and has high potential, but he's got a long way to go for what, for his issues, what his issues are now to really fulfill and deserve that contract. And if he does, then, you know, for his third contract, he'll, he'll get a bigger, bigger deal. So I'm, the fact that it, it is a descending contract does ease my, my worries. But to my second part of the answer, am I just worried about Jaron Jackson in general, regardless of the, the amount of money he'll be making? A hundred percent. One hundred percent. I'm worried about Jaron Jackson Jr. I, I tweeted a few days ago that someone has to be the – no question, hands down, second best player on the Memphis Grizzlies. And it's whether it's Desmond Bain, whether it's Jaron Jackson, I don't care. Someone has to be that person. Now, Desmond Bain's been playing fantastic. So if he, if he takes that mantle as being the number two guy to John Morant, awesome. Like, like I said, I don't care who it is. But the, the, the other thing is every Grizzlies fan, I feel like a lot of NBA fans who even know of the Grizzlies kind of just – thought and assumed that Jaron Jackson would be that second guy to John Morant. 
and the way he's been playing for this uh, this postseason, he has been the could not be the more opposite than that. He's he's been a liability when when he's just playing because he can't stay on the floor. So if he's on the floor, if he's playing, if he's playing and available, he's been playing well. The lineup the lineups have been really good for Memphis, but he his issues are the same. We all have we all have been on him for fouling just unnecessarily not being a great rebounder his issues that he's had for his whole career are still there i mean and some of the fouls that he commits are so head scratching like the foul against on pat beverly where he fouled him taking a three-point shot what are you doing like it wasn't even it was the most out of control closeout you could have possibly done in a moment where you already picked up a dumb offensive foul or just like two minutes ago where you just clearly shoved Carl Anthony Towns to the ground. And he, and like you said, he complained about it. Like, no, like you shoved your left, left forearm into Carl Anthony Towns chest, Carl Anthony Towns fell down that, and he was in good position. That's a charge. Like it, we know that. And so am I concerned about how he hasn't shown the growth in the issues that we all know he has a hundred percent. Because everyone knows it. He knows it. The Grizzlies franchise, the organization knows it. And it still hasn't gotten better. We're still waiting for that Jaron Jackson Jr. moment. And if, you know, whether or not Memphis wins this series and moves on, it's just going to continue continue to be Jaron Jackson Jr. to be the key for Memphis to continue to advance. And so we'll we'll see. But am I concerned? Yeah, I am concerned about Jaron Jackson Jr. Now, to be fair, I have a lot of the same concerns about Carl Towns, right? Complains yeah. constantly. He gets in foul trouble. I mean, so if I recall, one, two, and three in the league for fouls in the league. So it would have been, it's in some order, it's Jaron Jackson Jr., it's Carl Towns, and it's Jaden McDaniels. So we have mm-hmm. three of the worst players in terms of committing fouls in the league in this series, which is, so it, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that we see a lot of that <laughs> happening uh, in this series. Now, looking at this series as a whole, before it started, what was your pre- like? What was your prediction? What were you expecting from the series? Uh, my prediction was Grizzlies in six. So that was my prediction to start the series. And my my reason being is um, I've actually been I've as soon as I understood looking at the standings that your Timberwolves were a legitimate possibility for Memphis to play in the first round. I immediately was like, I don't like this. And a lot of people gave me flack about it. Oh, it's the Timberwolves, blah, blah, blah. They're not, they're not that good. They're the Timberwolves. They're young. They're untested. Like, no. Watching this team play, matchup-wise, even against Memphis, what Minnesota's good at what, compared to what Memphis is bad at, three-point shooting, like, don't get me started about that. Like, it's, the matchup is not good for Memphis. And I've been saying that for a month and a half, that this would be a bad matchup for Memphis. With that said, I still think Memphis wins the series because they, I do think they're the better team. They're more, they are more experienced, but it won't be easy. Like if people thought your Timberwolves would lie down and just, here you go, Memphis, you're the two seed, go have fun in the next round. You got another thing coming. Like this was always going to be a fight. I've been saying that from the jump. So uh, my original prediction was Grizzlies in six. And obviously, as we've seen, it, that could still happen. And yeah, it, it very easily could happen because you just don't know what you're going to get from the Timberwolves team that's up and down and you get a lot more of an even keel from the Grizzlies. And the matchup point that you made is, I think it makes a lot of sense because to me, 
when I was looking at the Wolves, are they going to finish eight? Are they going to finish seven? Could they finish six? You know, they had opportunities to possibly yeah. move up. And to me, I didn't want to face anyone else except the Grizzlies, not because the Wolves are the better team, just because matchup wise, I felt like when you look at the Grizzlies, for example, they don't have someone that can just stop Carl Towns. Not that a lot of teams do, but when you look at some of these other teams that are in there, you know, you look at a team like the Suns and DeAndre Ayton, there's certain players in this league that Towns struggles against. Now, yeah. in addition, DeAndre Russell, you look at what he was able to do in the regular season and, you, and you're kind of hopeful, but then you think about the fact that Dylan Brooks didn't play in any of the games that we played you guys. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Dylan Brooks jumps into the series and it's a game changer. You know, D'Angelo Russell can't do anything for the most part. And a lot of that yeah. is is him, is is Dylan Brooks, which, by the way, I think you'd probably agree with this. Dylan Brooks definitely has a little bit of Patrick Beverly in him. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I liked I think yeah, if, I'm, if I recall, he was quoted recently saying he's basically a better version of Patrick Beverly. Did you hear Maybe. that? I, I feel Maybe like I heard something that. along those lines. I def- I definitely heard uh, Jose Alvarado say that he's the light-skinned Patrick Beverly. Oh, maybe that's so maybe what I'm thinking of. Maybe that's what you're thinking that of. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, that whole thing has been has been so interesting. I love the dynamic of you know the different players. The other thing I'll say is I'm very appreciative, for the most part, that the referees have let them be emotional because whether it's Pat Beverly, sure. whether it's Brooks, they've gotten, they've gotten in there uh, with the officials, oh, yeah. and I like that they've let them – kind of say their piece i like that they haven't been quick to call whistles because in the regular season throughout the season we've seen that that isn't there and so i like that they give these players the opportunity to have emotions because sometimes we don't see that yeah i agree and something also i wanted to say earlier too is about the prediction i said on my most recent episode of the, my podcast the up and under where i said if memphis won game four that I thought Memphis wins in five. I thought they go home, they close the series in five, and I think that'll be that. But if Minnesota was able to win game four off of a debilitating collapse, I mean, just heartbreaking, horrific collapse on Minnesota's end to lose game three, but to pick themselves back up, to pick themselves back up and win game four would be amazing. Not just to show not to show Memphis, oh, hey, we're still here, we took your best punch, but to show themselves that they are still a very good team who's not just going to quit. It, I feel like it taught them a lot to, to win game four. And what happened? Minnesota won game four, Memphis won game five. And I said if Minnesota won game four, I think this, I think this could go seven. I think this goes seven if Minnesota wins game four. So I guess just to give a early preemptory prediction about the game, I do think Minnesota wins tomorrow, and I think this goes to seven games. I'm, I'm still going to pick the Grizzlies to win game seven at home, but I do think Minnesota wins tomorrow. I, I agree. I think your prediction's spot on. I would I be Now, would I be surprised if the Wolves won game seven? I wouldn't, just because we've seen sure. how competitive both these teams have been. But yeah. if I was a betting man, and I am, but I'm probably not going to bet on this, <laughs> <laughs> I do think that it Wolves win in game six. And it's it's more likely that the Wolves lose in Game 7. Yes, the Wolves proved in Game Number 1 that they have the ability to win in Memphis, but they just haven't shown the consistency. And that's that goes back to my main point, is that Memphis has been so consistent. I think it'll be close, probably. I do think it's going to be a good game. I agree. 
Yeah, but I ultimately, I do think it's it's likely Grizzlies in seven. And then, of course, we all have to go up against the the super team at right, right now, which is the Warriors. That I don't know about you, but not to again, not to jump too far ahead. But what do you? What are your thoughts? If you look ahead, let's say that is what happens: the Grizzlies win Game Seven, oh, they man. move on. What are your thoughts about a series of the Grizzlies versus the Warriors? So I'll I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I live in San Diego, California. I'm a born and raised Memphian, but I now live in San Diego. And there are a, a lot of Warriors fans here in San Diego. Yeah, we're not the Bay. Yeah, we're not LA or anything. But there's still a lot of Warriors fans here. And nothing would make me happier than to shut them up. Than to just, uh, man, to beat them would make me so happy. Because, hey, no one's going to pick Memphis. Like, I, I don't even know. I'm not even sure if I, if I would pick Memphis. I probably wouldn't. But. A, so that would be great, but B, just to, mm, just to quiet that fan base would be fantastic. Anyway, uh, if that happens, if Memphis plays Golden State next round, I'm just going to say it. Jaron Jackson Jr. will be the key to winning that series because you have to match up with the Warriors, their quote-unquote death lineup of Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Steph Curry. The only, the only way to do that is kind of to do what Memphis has been doing uh, to start to start against y'all. This kind of like primes Memphis to get used to these lineups against Golden State next series where Jaron Jackson Jr. has to be the starting center. He has to stay on the floor. And we have to just defend our tails off because it's the Golden State Warriors, one of the best franchises teams of all time. It's the, it's the Warriors. So – Jaron Jackson Jr. will be the key again. Now, if he shows me something, if he shows Memphis something in game six, potentially game seven against the Wolves, that can give me hope, can give Memphis hope that he's turned the corner a little bit and gotten out of those issues and habits that, that, that's, that have plagued him these past few games, then I would be more, heck, I'd be more willing to pick Memphis in seven if Jaron Jackson Jr. shows out these next couple of games, or at least just starts to show some consistently good play and can stay on the floor. If he shows that to me, I'm going to just do it because it'll make me happy if it happens. Memphis in seven. But I, I just don't think Jaron Jackson will show that. And, and maybe that's me being a pessimist or, or what have you. I just don't think it's going to happen out of Jaron. Uh, I still think, like I said, I think Memphis wins the series, but since I don't think Jaron will take that, will turn the corner in the way that he needs to to beat Golden State, uh, I'll pick Golden State in five. Like, and 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 that I might catch flack for that from Memphis fans, and you know, I I that's just my gut. I think Golden State would win in five if Triple J is not the Triple J he needs to be. I think that's I think that's fair. You know, if the Wolves somehow found a way to win this series. I don't know that I love their chances against a Warriors team, but I will say this. I did put a bet down before the playoffs that the Wolves would make it to the uh, Western Conference Finals and they would lose to the Suns. And then I had uh, the Bucks making wow. it to take on the Heat with the with the Bucks winning in the East. And then the Finals champion was the Suns, which that all seems very unlikely now, not only because <laughs> we'd have to beat you guys, but also the Bucks losing Chris Middleton. Uh, oh, so man. there's a reason why it was 300 to one uh, are the chances of that right. happening. Uh, so let, let me end with this. 
tell people uh, you know, what your show is again, where they can find it, and then where they can find you on social media. Yeah, thank you. My, uh, my podcast is the Up and Under Podcast, the Up and Under Podcast, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere podcasts are. Uh, let us check us out, leave us a rating, give, give us a review. We hope you enjoy it. And in terms of where you can find me, you can find me on Twitter at Slugga Sports, S-L-U-G-G-A Sports. And my name is Francis Carlotta. And yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Francis, for joining the show here on uh, Dash Radio's Nothing But a Channel. This is The Howl. And uh, we'll hopefully uh, maybe have you on again after the series when uh, when the Wolves win in seven. <laughs> you had to do it, man. I, I, I had to try. I don't blame you. You had to do it. If you put it into the atmosphere, maybe it happens. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Hey, man, I really appreciate you having me on. Much appreciated. That's going to do it for this week's edition of The Howl, or I should say this edition of The Howl, because we're going to have more this week. Obviously going to touch on what happens in game number six. One thing I, I really wanted to go in more in depth on, but just ended up not having enough time uh, personally on my schedule, is talking a little bit about the officiating from game number five. So what I would recommend you do is take a look at my official Twitter account, at the sports min at the sports M-I-N-N. I actually have a thread that I put up there of video clips, and I was able to kind of do a little bit of a deep dive into game number five and the officiating, and I can tell you there were over 30 different calls that were either bad, missed, or were questionable, borderline calls. I definitely strongly advise you, take a look. If you're a Wolves fan, I, I just think... Uh, it bears it bears looking at just so that your frustration is warranted when you see all these or when you hear all these wolves fans you know with the refs you suck chant and things like that i think a lot of times it gets it gets kind of i don't know how to explain this I, here's a good example of it both john morant and taylor jenkins complained about the officiating after game number 4 and I, I thought that was absolutely ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. And so for them to complain, and then for the very next game, for them to get the kind of officiating that they got, it's so frustrating to me because they complained in a game where they were still the beneficiary of the best officiating. In game number four, there were numerous calls that went against the Wolves. Just terrible calls. I mean, the, the, the biggest one, of course, was the Grizzlies fouled themselves... And even after it got reviewed, the referees still upheld it, even though it was very clearly the Grizzlies fouling their own player. That should tell you a lot about the frustrations that we're facing here. And I think the reason why the bad officiating message gets garbled is because of teams like the Grizzlies that complain even when the officiating isn't even bad for them. And I really wanted to dive in because I had a number of I had a number of people I've had arguments with over the last, I don't know how long. People don't like it when you complain about officiating. There's a lot of people that just don't like that. And for me, I don't just complain about officiating. I don't just say, you know what, officiating stinks. It's all bad. Every official's bad. There's no such thing as a good call. It's not like that with me. If I genuinely think there's a bad call, it's because I've 
dug into it. I've watched the replay. I've watched slow motion. All these things. You be the judge. I went in and I dove into the film. And I've now shared all of my findings. And to be fair, I could have missed some. But at the same time, is it really a big difference if it's 30 or 40? You know what I'm saying? It's a lot. It's too many. And that's a problem. Now, if you disagree with me, I would love to hear it. But that's why I posted the clips. These are clips that I saw and I felt warranted looking into. And I felt warranted posting because to me, it's frustrating. And yes, you know what else I did? I called out the official NBA officials account for the referees. I tagged them in my post because I keep hoping that for some reason they're going to see things like this and they're going to work on their craft. The problem you're into is you think about, here's an example, in the end of game number five, and you have John Morant shoving Patrick Beverly out of bounds. That's not a missed call. It's a choice. There's a referee right there. He's watching the play from just a few feet away. Of course he sees it. Of course he sees it. He chose not to call it. That was a choice. And we see that far too often in the NBA. And that's where fans and that's where people get frustrated with the NBA. And I think it's warranted. So take a look at that. I strongly suggest it. And hopefully we get a, a, you know, a more fair shake in Friday night's game. Who knows? I don't really know what it's going to end up coming down to. Do you, let's see, when I'm watching, when I watch game number five, let's put it this way. When I watch game number five, I could tell it was over then that we were going to lose the second the referees let that play go. The second they were allowed to shove Patrick Bradley out of bounds, I knew it was over. You could just tell. And then, of course, you have the unfortunate thing where Patrick Beverly falls out. In the end of the game, you could have really used him guarding John Morant because what ends up happening, Anthony Edwards guards John Morant, and in his own words, he predetermined what he was going to do. He was going to go for the steal, and it, and, it, and it hurt us. And he knows he was wrong, and I appreciate honesty from a player. He's still a person, right? And he made a mistake. A big mistake, a costly mistake. We get all of those things. We get that. But you move on. He admitted fault, and now you want him to be better. And I'll tell you right now, one of the things that he touched on was the importance of rebounding and how he's going to get after it. He is going to rebound the crap out of the ball in that game Friday night. I'm very impressed, or I should say I have high expectations for him in that Friday game. And I do think... Uh, just like I touched on in the interview. I do think we win Game 6, and it goes to Game 7. It's going to be a lot of fun, lots to touch on. Again, you've been listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. This is The Howl, your source for all things Timberwolves. And until next time, let me get a howl.